Mark chapter 10. Before we jump into that, I have a couple of things, very exciting announcements. One is, after a long, extensive search, on November 8th, we will be presenting a candidate for our community life pastor. This has taken over a year, a lot of work, um, but we are very, very excited. So let me just say a couple of things, and that will help us figure out how to do this well, because this is always, um, you know, can we talk about it? Can we not talk about it? So his name is Aaron Thompson, and he lives in the country of Sweden. Um, so you might have been here in August. He actually came and preached. We didn't have access to uh, preaching sermons of his, so I invited him in to preach. And he was one of our finalists. And Aaron is an amazing young man from Minnesota. And uh, we're going to be bringing him in a few weeks. We're excited about it. You'll see some information sent out about it. You can find a sheet about him out at the table in the lobby. And uh, the only thing that we ask is just don't post information about him to social media. Um, Facebook or Twitter. Uh, I think as you understand, he currently is a covenant church planner in the country of Sweden, and he wants to leave that well, so he needs to have certain conversations and is in the process of having those conversations over the next few months as he leaves well. So we are super, super excited about that and praising God for that. And then secondly, as we jump into the message this morning, um, I am very, very excited. The second half of the message, I'm going to invite a friend of mine, Mark Esch, to come up, and he's actually going to share his story and preach the last part of the message with me. And that might take two to three hours because we've been running for about, have we been running together on Friday mornings for about 15 months now? And basically for the first two miles when we're running, we talk and break down theology and life and then we can't talk after two miles just because we, at that point we don't like each other, we don't like running, we don't like anything, put the headphones in, but we've had great discussions and it feels like this is the culmination of about 15 months of conversation that we've had. So I'm really excited about that. But before we do that, I want to just read through, talk through the text, and I'll invite Mark on up. So uh, Mark chapter 10. We're actually in this text a few weeks ago looking at this story with Jesus and children and saying, let them come to me for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. And now we're in the next story, which is the rich young ruler. And I think this is one of those texts as we're in this series talking about what gets in the way of us really believing and trusting in Jesus Christ. And there's probably not a better text for us as Western American Christians. Um, and if you're in this room and you're not a Christian, this text is awesome for you too. Because it'll help us see what does it look like to really follow Jesus? What is the invitation and why do it? So with all that said, Mark chapter 10 starting in verse 17. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? This is a wealthy young man we're going to find. And the story would be in the first century that wealthy individuals in Israel would try and find their own sort of personal teacher. You'd get your own rabbi. And so the story is probably this guy is testing out Jesus and he's asking a common question. What must I do to inherit eternal life is what must I do to inherit the life to come or this kingdom of God reality? And Jesus' response is this. Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And this is sort of the, this, this question around goodness and Jesus throwing it back on him. It was standard interaction for that day. 
And where Jesus begins to go is listing these five commandments that have to do with how one would treat another individual. You notice it's not all ten commandments that are listed here. And so this man is probably starting to think in my mind, you're saying God is only good, but I've obeyed these. And that's his response in verse 20. He says, teacher, all these I have kept since I was a boy. And then Jesus responds. Jesus looked at him looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said. Go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasures in heaven. Then come and follow me. What if that was just the end of the text and we said, if you don't do that, you can't be a Christian? Wouldn't that seem a bit heavy? Is, is that the essence of what this text is saying? Because that's, that's what the text is saying. But I think if we dig and we look at the stories of how Jesus interacts with people, he's digging into the heart. He's getting at what this man clings, holds so tightly to, so that he could actually enjoy this relationship with Jesus Christ. So verse 22 keeps saying, at this the man, man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to the disciples, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? The disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said again, children, how hard, it's interesting, from disciples now to children, right after the story about children. Children, how hard is it to enter the kingdom of God? In this hyperbole, verse 25, it is easier for a man, for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. And we could have a whole talk about wealth and riches. And if you've read the Gospels and you know Scripture, this is not against wealth. This is against the love of wealth. And it's trying to get to the guy's heart that he's clinging so tightly to what he has. Verse 26. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, Who then can be saved? If that's the standard, that's intense. So who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. This guy thought he could save himself. And the message here is no. Salvation comes only from God. Then Peter spoke up, We have left everything to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, fields, along with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. These disciples had left, they literally had left everything. And they were going to endure persecution. And the point of this text is not if you come and follow Jesus, you literally have to leave everything. The point is the heart and the invitation. What Jesus is saying in the end of the passage here is your reward, their reward, will ultimately be found in the life to come. Back to the question that was asked at the very beginning. And verse 31 ends by saying, but many who are first will be last and the last will be first. There's this reversal of fortunes in the kingdom of God. Things look differently in God's kingdom. And that's Mark to come up. Because I think as we've talked and, and Mark has shared his story of coming to faith, um, a lot of it sort of resonates with this text, right? Right. And so one of the first things I've asked Mark to do is share his story with us. There's one thing I forgot to tell you, Brad. <laughs> 
telling my story, I can get a little bit emotional. So if I do, uh, I need a big hug from you. Those of you that know me a little bit, I'm a high, high introvert with very few emotions. So (laughs) someone, someone out there will be happy to hug you. Yes, we'll have volunteers come up. Uh, My story, uh, I grew up in a in a nice family. I grew up in a Catholic church. I always believed in God, but I never knew who Jesus was. And it's kind of odd, but that's that's just the church that I grew up in and the setting that I grew up in. I had great parents that loved me and believed in me, and that helped me tremendously. But there was always something missing. And, um, you know, when I was older, I got into football. I'm a football coach, for those of you who don't know, and I tend to like football. And, and uh, football became my identity when I was in middle school and high school. It was, I had that football as life shirt, right? And it, I really meant it. And, and uh, it was everything to me. And, but there was always that missing piece. And, and when football was taken away after my senior year of high school, I decided not to play college football immediately. I, went, I played later on. But I became very hardened. And I think it's important that I tell you where I was and how that affected me so you can see the drastic change that, it produced, that, that the Lord produced in my life. Um, right after football ended, I got into drinking. I got into smoking cigarettes. Um, I got into partying. And if there's any football players in here, they're probably like, what are you talking about right now? Um, and, and I share my story because... Um, and this is a side note, but now I try to teach kids that, hey, that is a mistake. And how do I, I know that? Because I lived it. And, um, but I got into that whole party scene. Uh, I dabbled in a little bit of college football, was still a, a big partier because I was trying to fill that empty space that we might talk about a little bit later on. But I was trying to fill it with things in the world. And I was just never successful. Um, went into uh, teaching and coaching, and then went to coach college football at the University of South Dakota for a year. I was a graduate assistant football coach there, and uh, that's where everything reached its pinnacle for me as far as the world. I was drinking almost every night uh, and the partying scene and everything that goes with it. At the same time, this trying to pursue this football coaching career, I wanted to be a D- D1, Division One football coach and make this money and, you know, all the, and all the fame that came with it, you know, all those things that uh, seem very attractive at the time, but at the, in the end we know are, uh, are empty. And, but it was also at that time that God really started to reach out for me, and, uh, or at least I started listening, or however, however it happened, it happened. And I remember being in, uh, in a team meeting with the, the team pastor, and out of Everybody in the room, he looked at me and said, hey, I lift weights. You look like you lift weights. Do you want to start working out together? And uh, so we started lifting weights three days a week, and I was lifting with this pastor, obviously not Brad. (laughs) He's a little bit bigger than you. I was waiting to get the joke in there. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But anyway, and he never once mentioned church. He never once mentioned Jesus. There was just something different about him. And that was kind of the first seed that was planted. Uh, also, the team captain at, at the university at that time, his name was Bill Gasson. He was a big, burly D lineman, and he loved Jesus like no other. 
And uh, I'm like, wow, that's, that's intriguing to me. So all these little seeds were being planted. And I, I started going to the Catholic church first. And, and, the, and, and the, the, the priest there was a, a strong Christian guy that planted seeds. But moving on, all these seeds were planted. So for you, uh, a message is plant seeds. Because these people now, I've shared with them where I am now, but they haven't seen it personally. But they have no idea how they affected my life. They have no idea. And um, from there, I moved to Austin, Minnesota, and I was still into the partying and still into the drinking. And I spent three years as a teacher and a coach there. And um, actually, the, the thing that happened there is I met my wife. And my wife was in a, a, a state where she was struggling, too. She had lost her mom when she was 17 years old. And as a result, had kind of backslid. She was a believer, but she had back, backslid. Slid. And she was praying for me, even though she was living this, you know, uh, we were both kind of living this party lifestyle, and because her mom always wanted her to marry a believer. So I credit my wife, Sarah, with uh, praying me into the kingdom, <laughs> and, uh, and uh, all these things came together, and I was reading a book about end times, because all these things piqued my interest, and I remember laying on a couch and just saying, this is it, this is, I'm in, uh, I want to follow Jesus Christ. I want to do the things that, that I want to change my life. And uh, I slowly began to change. And um, it took about four to five months, but the alcohol was out of my life. It was never an issue again. Um, I got involved with a good church in Austin, started an FCA group for the kids, and, and just got fired up. But that whole time, just to end it with this, as I look back, God was with me that entire time. I mean, truly, from the time I was conceived, I feel it. And um, you ready to hug me? <laughs> but I feel like my whole life I was swimming in a swimming pool that was filled with dirt and grease and junk. And that entire time I was thinking I was enjoying myself in this swimming pool, but God had his hand on me. And when I came to him and humbled myself, he pulled me out. And he cleaned me off. And uh, my life has not been the same since. We'll share a little bit more about that as we go through this. Thanks, Mark. That's awesome. So it, as we were talking about the rich young ruler, Mark's story, which, which is probably a lot of your stories here. So th this text is, for if you're in this room and you're sort of new to this whole God thing, you hear Mark's story and you're like, yeah, I, I haven't done that, that sort of laying on the couch saying yes to Jesus' peace. Um, and, and we will sort of invite you into that this morning. But for a lot of us, you, you hear that story and it's like, I, I know I'm a Christian, but I'm still trying to figure that out. I, I still search for meaning in so many things. And I think as we talked about that, it led us to three questions that, that we'll walk through real quickly to help us live out this text. The first question is this. I think you have to ask it when you look at the rich young ruler. It's what's at the core of our deepest need or desire? Rich young ruler says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus, time and time again in the Gospels, is asked questions. Um, they, they try and trick him. They, they, they go to him time and time and time again asking questions. I, I think this is, to me, the most intriguing of questions. Because it gets to the deepest needs, sort of that, that core human desire that is in all of us. And as we were chatting, Mark, Mark uh, showed me this video of Tom Brady that we're going to play. This real, really intriguing.
Tom Brady, the quarterback of the New England Patriots, is not only one of the NFL's best players, he's one of the NFL's great stories. At the tender age of 30, he has already won three Super Bowls, an accomplishment that ranks him with some of the best quarterbacks ever to play the game. And he's having one of the greatest seasons in pro football history. When we first reported on him back in 2005, he seemed underrated and almost overlooked. He doesn't have the arm of Peyton Manning, and he doesn't have tattoos, and he doesn't take steroids, and he's never held out for more money. All he knows how to do is win. <laughs> this is what you always wanted. You're right. You're right. It has. And I didn't think it came with all the other baggage, though. In addition to his success on the field and his sex appeal off it, there is also the $60 million 10-year contract to play with the Patriots. I mean, I'm making more money now than I ever thought I could ever make playing football. But with all that money, fame, and career accomplishments, we were surprised to hear this from him. Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and, and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey, man, this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life is me. I thank God. It's got to be more than this. What's the answer? I wish I knew. I wish I knew. Isn't that interesting? It's so intriguing to me. I think it gets to the heart of this story, and I think it gets to the heart of humanity, that we are made in the image of God. We're made with a God-shaped hole, every person is, that can only be filled by a relationship with Jesus Christ. And um, this story, the rich young ruler, inherit eternal life, actually means he's asking, what can I do to earn, to possess? That's what that Greek word means. And the point of this is you can't earn it. You can't possess it. Or you can possess it, but you can't earn it. And uh, I think it's similar to your story, and that, that Brady video gets at the heart of it. Yeah, and then that's the question I was asking myself during those times. There's got to be something more than this. This can't be all there is. Yeah, and, you, and you could substitute, in this text, you could substitute money with sports, relationships, being approved, you know, whatever you want to put in there that we cling to, that we think we can do to earn that right relationship with God, and at the end of the day, it just doesn't do it. So the second question that, that we uh, wrestled with was, why? Why do we, have you ever thought about that? You read the story of the rich young ruler, it's like, this is my story again and again and again. Why do we try and do it on our own? What is it that, that, that draws us into that place? And I think there's two lessons from the text that are important for because it's true of all of us. That we, I think at the end of the day, we really think we can do it on our own. This rich young ruler was obeying the Ten Commandments, thought he was being good enough for God. He thought he could do it on our own. And, and I think the majority of us think we can do it on our own. The Bible calls this self-righteousness. That we are fooling ourselves to think that we can earn God's approval. That we somehow can make ourselves right with God. That we can fill this deepest need with what we can do. And the second piece from the text is this. Is the, the rich young ruler was, un, isn't it intriguing? He was unwilling to give up that thing he clung to. And we do the same thing. We cling so tightly to fame, to money to our kids' success. Whatever you want to put, we cling so tightly to it. And the point of this, and you, you, I think you mentioned this when we, we were planning this out, is it's about the heart, right? Right. I, I, think, I heard it said that you can have anything you want in life. Uh, you can own anything you want in life as long as it doesn't own you. Hmm. And I think 
that's the heart of it. Uh, you know, we're going to go out, we're going to do our job, we're going to make money, you know, there's all these things in, in the world, and they're good, but do they own you? Are they idols in your life? And I think that's the biggest thing, you know, that, and I see that being a coach all the time, and <laughs> I tell people, uh, I spoke at a coach's clinic not long ago, and one of my, the first things I said is, I hate football. <laughs> and I was sharing my faith story, and that's a blessing that I've been able to do, but I, I love it and I hate it because I see it corrupted in so many ways. Sport is corruptible in so many ways, but it can be so good. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I think that somehow that's at the core. In our brokenness and our sin, that somehow we think we can be king and we can figure it out. And the invitation of this text is to submit in faith your life to Jesus Christ um, and really understand what true meaning is about. And that's where I, I asked Mark just to sit with the last question for us, which is um, this text, I think, is as much an invitation to us as it was the rich young ruler. So what's the invitation? So the invitation is the relationship. So the relationship with Jesus Christ. And there's people out there out listening right now that, hey, I don't have that. I don't have that. What do I need to do? And, um, you know, you just need to accept Jesus into your heart and you need to let him rule. Because even as after you do, there's always the balance of the world and the, and the faith. And it's easy to try to do things on your own. And then God just reminds you that, hey, let me do this. I got it. Um, but the invitation is Jesus, without a doubt. Um, and, the, and the text that, that I wrote down uh, to share, kind of my, um, you know, and you can relate to this, is after you know Jesus, after you have that relationship, Matthew eleven twenty eight starts to make a whole lot of sense. And it's, come to me, all who, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And that rest for your souls is so key, because before, 11 years ago, I didn't have that. I was searching for that. And now, I'm doing the very similar things that I was doing then, but I always have that peace. Um, you know, win or lose, whether it's in football or in life or relationship, you know, there's ups and downs, but you always have that peace to fall back on. You always have Jesus as the core, and he'll always bring you back to center. And I think that's the invitation, is to rely on him and not rely on the money, not to rely on the ways of the world. And there's a, a quote that I love about our children that a, a friend of mine said. He said, if you don't saturate your children with love and God's word, the world will saturate them with sex and alcohol and win. And I think that's so true. I mean, <laughs> we're in a battle. And, but the invitation is, once you put your trust in Christ, you know you win the battle, and you always have that center point. Anything to that's add? Awesome. No, that, that text is stop striving. Stop trying and trust Christ. And that's the, I believe, but stuff gets in the way. And Jesus' invitation is, trust in me. Why don't right. you pray for us? All right, it's close. Father God, we just thank you for today. And Lord, I thank you for the grace that wins every time. Lord, that you've given us through your son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, for those who are pursuing that today, I just pray for them that, uh, Lord, they could put their trust in you. And, uh, 
And Lord, for those who might be struggling the same, just that, that you could be in control of our lives, that Lord, all of us here today could give control to you and, uh, and just build that relationship with you, Lord. We trust you and we thank you for this time in this church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.